Great to be here with you today. I, I love the holidays. I love Advent. Uh, Advent's one of the two big preparation times in the church here, Advent before the birth of Jesus. Of course, Lent before the crucifixion will be doing next year. I also love Thanksgiving, uh, so I'd just like to see a show of hands. How many of you are going somewhere to somebody else's house for Thanksgiving? Okay, it's great. How many of you are hosting people at your house? It's a, a few less there. You're brave. Uh, my wife and I, we host my side of the family, which means my two sisters and their kids and grandkids come. And then most of our kids, except for we have two kids who live in Chicago and they can't get away. But we'll have 35 people in our house. Yeah, 20, 20 adults, 15 kids from Ellie at 14 down to Nate at 1.5. So it's a busy, busy day. And I was telling somebody, we're grateful that we live only a mile from River Heights Vineyard and I, and I still have a key because uh, we need tables and chairs to have everybody find a place. But uh, we love it. So just on the, in the Thanksgiving side, I'd like you to just shout out to me, what's the favorite thing you eat on Thanksgiving? Dressing, stuffing. Cranberries. Say again. Cranberries. Cranberries. Okay. Did anybody like turkey at all, or is that just uh, <laughs> that's a given, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I I think for me, I really like uh, sweet potatoes with a ton of butter. Sometimes even whipped cream on them. You know, whatever is. Whatever is sweet. Anyway, we, we'll have a good ham. But I love the, the uh, leftovers, <clears throat> actually probably even more than the first meal. I don't know. They just seem to get better uh, the next couple days. So I'm hoping my wife doesn't give away all of the extra food uh, like she likes to do after the meal. But I love the holidays. I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas and Advent. I think it's a great time for us to gather as families and friends. But I'm not naive that holidays are difficult times too and challenging, and they may be for you. I mean, holidays, we, we remember people that are not with us. Like my mom and dad are with Jesus, and so are Sue's parents. My brother-in-law, Doug, who I, I really loved. We, Doug and I played so much, I mean, hearts. I don't know how many, anybody play hearts in the crowd? You know, you get uh, a point if you, if you have a heart and 13 points against you with the, if you're stuck with the queen of spades. And one of my passions in life was to stick Doug with the queen of spades. And I was quite successful with that. And he's, he, was, he was like big emotions and he let me know what, what he thought when I would do that. Uh, but I miss Doug. Doug's with Jesus now, two years. And, uh, but they'll have a great Thanksgiving. I think they maybe have Thanksgiving every day in heaven. But, you know, we miss people. And then there are, sometimes there are challenges with families, at least there have been with mine, where we don't always see eye to eye, where there's some old wounds that sometimes surface in holiday gatherings. I know uh, years ago on Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, I would often get hit with this little panicky, anxious feeling like, oh, I hope tomorrow goes well. Oh, I hope nobody says something that's going to stir somebody else up and make them mad and we're going to have another eruption. I grew up with a family where sometimes meals were the time where eruptions happened. And uh, so I'd, I, I struggled with that. Uh, but thankfully, my sisters and I and our gang We've learned to love each other well, and we really have, there's been more and more peace and joy as we gather, and I'm so thankful for that. And so I hope you have a great time. Uh, as we look at the Advent series, 
that, we're, that Kelly was talking about. Our key verse we're going to be looking at is Luke 2.10. That's going to frame all of the talks where the angel says to the shepherds, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people. I'm going to talk to you today about why you and I do not need to be afraid, do not need to be controlled by fear, how we can actually be set free from the controlling, oppressing, paralyzing effects of fear. I know this well because Jesus, I grew up in a family where fear and shame seemed to be like dominant notes. Uh, none of us wanted that. It just was what it was. And, but Jesus has been systematically freeing me from fear for 51 years. Now, that's really encouraging to me. You might think, oh, no, do I have to wait 51 years? No, you don't. You don't. You don't. It just was a deep thing in my life. Uh, but be thankful. Uh, Jesus is at work with us, and he will set us free from fear. So I'm going to talk about that today. Cassie will talk about the power of the good news to change our lives next week. Then Julie's going to talk about how we can all experience great joy. I think a greater joy than we probably can imagine. Even those of you that joy is like really high on your list, uh, maybe you're a, maybe a more joy-challenged person, but there's great joy for all of us. And then Tommy's going to wrap it up with how all of these great blessings, freedom from fear, power of the good news, great joy, are for all people everywhere. And of course, that includes us, right? It includes all the kids in different rooms right now and all the people that we know and love in our neighborhoods. So I want to talk about how Jesus has, can set you and I free from fear. Fear is a very present reality in our world. Uh, I, I noticed that the Washington Post did a recent survey of people in the United States and came up with a ranking of our 10 most common fears. You're going to see them come up. So, first one is public speaking. Yikes! <laughs> you know, I know this one because I refused to take speech in high school or college because, like, who in the world would ever want to stand up in front of a crowd of people and talk? Like, that did not sound like fun to me at all. Uh, so when I, then Jesus broke into my life and I ended up going to seminary, I had to take remedial pulpit speech. Ah. Uh, <laughs> but now, you know, I actually enjoy this because of the freedom Jesus has given me. And truth be told, I finally have something, I think, that might be helpful to say to others. But public speaking is number one. Fear of heights. My wife really struggles with this. She does not like walking across bridges where she can see open air or water beneath her. So I, I hold her hand. She often kind of closes her eyes as she walks across. Bugs and insects. Anybody here like have any kind of... Uh, how many of you love bugs and insects? Do we have any bug insect. Okay, there's a few. I have granddaughters, <coughs> Rose and Audrey. They love every creepy, crawly thing they can find. And so often when I'm seeing them, they said, Grandpa, we have something to show you. <laughs> I say, yes, what is it? Well, here, come here. And then they'll open this box and there's some creepy, crawly thing that they've just found that they love. And then I will take a step backwards and they say, oh no, you can hold it. I said, that's okay. You hold it and shut the box, please. Anyway, drowning. Uh, obviously, not a great thing. Uh, fear of blood and needles. <laughs> fear of small spaces. Uh, I had a friend that had cancer and had to have radiation on his brain and so they locked him down to, onto the table to make sure it was targeted laser work, and then everybody left. And he just said, oh, the worst part, he said, I was a little concerned about the laser on the brain, but all of a sudden I realized 
I'm afraid of being in a, in a small room. I never knew that. And so some, one of my other friends who was like, I think kind of working out his own fear said, well, like, you weren't actually scared, were you? Because Jesus was with you. And my friend said, yep, and Jesus was scared too. <laughs> to which my other friend, oh, no, no. He said, just kidding, just kidding. But of course I was scared. Are you kidding me? <laughs> anyway, so small spaces, flying, strangers, zombies, <laughs> and darkness. Anyway, those are 10. But there's many, many more, aren't they? Because we, we live in a, in a world that's broken, and part of the brokenness is fear. Now, years ago, when I first began to follow Jesus, I would read the Psalms regularly, and I read Psalm 34. In verse 4, David says this, I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. And those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. There's that great joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. I remember reading this as a young follower of Jesus, and it just hit me like with a force in the chest. And I said to God, can you do that for me? Can you do that for me? I would so love it if you would. Well, God answered David's prayer, and God has answered my prayer. Yes, it's taken time. There's a little bit here, a little bit there. There's been some more dramatic moments, but it's taken some time. It was like 10 years ago, I was in Boston, and I was with friends at a church there, and I had, I had spoken at one of the meetings, and then I was just in the others. And there was a word that someone shared, hey, you know, God is, fr is freeing people from fear tonight, so if you'd like us to pray for you, uh, we'd be glad to do that. And so I'm thinking, oh boy, yeah, it's been 40-some years I've been working on this. Do I need to go forward again? And then I kind of laughed to myself. Isn't it funny how we have words like that? If you're really racked with fear, would you come forward right now in front of everybody? <laughs> yeah, that's unlikely. <laughs> you know? I mean, but they said, you know, they were kind. And I said, oh, well, what the heck? I'm going to go again. So I went up forward and... and uh, when a, a fellow I knew was praying, and he was praying in a very unvineyard-like way. He had his eyes closed tight, and I kind of laughed when I saw that. So I'm just sit, sitting there waiting and hoping God's going to do something with me. And he opens his eyes, and he says, John, what are you doing up here? Uh, I said, you know, the fear word. I said, would you pray for me? And he starts to pray, and he looks at me. He says, John, there's absolutely no fear on you. You're free. Believe it. And that word just, it, it broke something in me. Now, I still have feelings of fear and anxiety when I'm in new places. Uh, I've had a variety of things that are like challenging for pastors. Fear of public speaking, social anxiety, da-da-da. Uh, and those are a little bit of challenges. <laughs> but you know, God loves to work with our weakness, right? His power is made perfect in our weakness. Now, I don't feel social anxiety like I used to. I love people. I so enjoy being with you. But it's been a, pro a work in progress for me. So I just want to encourage you, you can be free of whatever fear. Now, I'm not saying that all of you have struggled with fear the way I have. I have good friends say, hey, John, I'm so glad for you, but that's like not, never really been an issue in my life. And I've said, are you lying to me? And they said, no, I'm just not. Fear has not been a big deal. And then they smile and say, pride and arrogance are. Uh, <laughs> and I said, well, whatever. Jesus can work with all of us. Whatever we got going on, he's super good 
at helping us become free and become like him. He was fearless. Didn't mean he had, didn't have troubles and problems and people challenging him. He had it all the time. But he wasn't controlled by it. And you don't need to be either. Fear was never part of God's plan for us. It, fear came into the world as a direct result of the choice of, of our first parents, Adam and Eve, to live independently from God. And so when they ate that fruit that they weren't supposed to eat of, the truth tree of knowledge of good and evil, symbolizing, I just want to live my own way. I don't really want God. I'm going to find good and evil myself. They immediately felt ashamed, tried to cover up, and then they hid. And so uh, in Genesis 3, there's an amazing interaction with God where God calls out to Adam and says, where are you? Now, it doesn't mean God had lost the GPS signal. He knew where they were. But he was reaching out to them to draw them back. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, God is a searcher. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save all who are lost. I suspect that's why you're here. I know that's why I'm here. Because he came looking for me. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And, you know, God wants to invite you and I into being part of that search and rescue team where our eyes are open, where we're looking, where our hearts are toward people. We want, we want people to know the love of God. We want them to know, hey, you can come home. I came home. I was welcomed. You can come home. You'll be welcomed. We'll welcome you here. <clears throat> so God says that to Adam. And Adam says, well, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. First time he'd ever hid. You know, when, as a young parent, one of the things I loved when my kids were little was I'd come home from work and they would run to me, grab my legs and hang on, and it was such a great joy. Uh, one day I came, and I think my son Eric was maybe eight or nine, and I couldn't find him, and I said, where's Eric? Because uh, he was one of those that would run. He said, well, Eric's hiding in the woods. Our house, behind our house is a park. And I said, what's he doing there? Well, he was playing baseball in the garage. <laughs> and one of the windows broke. And so he's hiding in the woods. I said, what's he? he's, he's afraid you're going to be really mad at him. So I go out in the backyard and I yell, Eric, are you out there? No. <laughs> and I said, okay, uh, you know, uh, I heard you had a little problem with one of the windows. And he said, Dad, I broke it. I'm sorry. I said, it's okay. It's just a window. It's just a window. I can get a new window. Hey, and, I, and I'm, I'm creative. I, I have some job ideas for you so that you can help earn the money to pay for it. And I said, it's going to get really cold in the woods, Eric. Why don't you come in? And so he did. And I gave him a hug, and I said, you know, Eric, uh, I've done all kinds of stuff in my life. Not all of it, what I want showing up on the screen there. But God loves me. He's forgiven me. Hey, we're family. But Adam was struggling with that. And he said, I, I, I was afraid because I was naked. Fear, shame, and blaming others have been part of the human condition ever since. Thank God that he sent Jesus into this broken world to break the power of those things, to heal and restore us so we can become like him. The Christmas story, which is a great story, and I imagine many of you have heard this read many, many times. We're going to look at it today, but we're going to look at it through the lens of how can we be free of fear. We're going to look at it through the great example of the shepherds and three wonderful choices they made that you and I can make so that we become progressively 
free from fear. So you're going to see Luke 2, 1 to 7 come up first, and I'll read it to us. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging or no guest room available for them. What a wonderful story. So beautiful, so brief. 129 words in the translation I used. So simple and straightforward, so humble, so warm. Mary and Joseph had made a long and difficult journey to Bethlehem. When they got there, they struggled to find a place. This uh, would have been challenging for them. Now, Luke tells us that Jesus was born in a manger. A manger is like a feeding trough where you would put, you know, grain or corn or whatever for the animals to eat. I think it's an interesting and amazing, like little, probably a little prophetic picture. Uh, Jesus, who became a suffering servant, kind of bore our burdens. He was laid in a trough where beasts of burdens would eat. And who is Jesus? He's the bread of life that by faith you and I can, as it were, draw on him and receive nourishment and eat from him. So he's laid in a manger. Three times the manger is mentioned. We'll talk about the importance of that in a second. Now, our traditions say that Jesus was probably born in a stable with animals or a cave. And that's A, possible, but B, unlikely. More of the recent research on homes in Bethlehem at the time were that there were several levels in the homes. The upper level was like bedroom and guest room. The lower level was like common room, and it's where the animals did stay overnight. It was likely that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were in the common room. There was no guest room available. It was a busy time. People were there for the census. So they did struggle to find room, but they were probably in a house, potentially with some of Joseph's relatives, because that's where his descendants were, or friends. So uh, to me, I think that's more true to history than the story we, we usually tell, but it also tells me something wonderful, that when God sent his son Jesus here, he wanted him to experience the warmth of a family the night he was born. Isn't that a cool thing? He wants you to experience the warmth of a family. That's what we are to be here at Mercy. We're a family where we welcome each other, support each other, love each other. Now, it's a very short description of the birth, again, seven verses. Interesting to me that the next 13 verses, almost twice as many, are focused on why Jesus was born and what he came to do and how we can respond to him. So absolutely essential that Jesus is born, right? He can't, like, do anything without being born, right? That's... Not like rocket science, right? We've, we all have to be born to live and do things. But the big deal was not where Jesus was born, but why and what he came to do and how you can, I experience, can experience a relationship with him and the benefits of that. So the next 13 verses talk about that. So let's look here uh, at from verse 8 on. 
That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. They were just doing their job. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. Remember, he's going to be laid in a manger. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. The manger is a sign. The manger is God so wanted these shepherds to find Jesus that he gave him this sign. God so wants you to come to Jesus and keep coming to Jesus your whole life long. Because, you know, you can grow in your relationship to Jesus in every season of life. Every season of life has new opportunities and new challenges, and you can meet Jesus. Uh, my wife loves to say about our marriage, like somebody once asked her, hey, is, it like, is it like boring to be married to somebody for 44 years, same person for 44 years? And she said, you kind of don't get it, do you? Uh, I've been married to a different person every year for 44 years. I've never been married to a 70-year-old guy. She loves to say that because she's still 69. I said, hey, February 15, you're not going to be able to say that anymore. We're both going to be 70 then. And she laughs. Uh, but it's true. You change, don't you? I have a different relationship with Jesus now than when I was 19. It was true and genuine and good then, and it's even deeper and richer now because I've been coming toward him, and he's been coming toward me. You know, by the Spirit, He's coming toward you today. And He wants you to come toward Him. So the shepherds hear this great story. And then suddenly, you know, it's just like heaven can't hold itself back. They got one angel now. But then all of a sudden, a whole community of angels break out. Vast host of others. The armies of heaven praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace on earth to those with whom God is well pleased. I think it's super wonderful that the first people to hear about, hear the good news that Jesus was born were ordinary people, shepherds. And that truth be told, they were actually marginalized people. Shepherds actually weren't really accept, their testimony in court wasn't accepted. Uh, some of it was just kind of judgmentalness. Some of it might have been because sometimes shepherds had the reputation of confusing, like, your sheep and mine. <laughs> and so they weren't allowed to testify. So they were marginalized, pushed away. But they were not pushed away by God. They were drawn close to him. Message didn't come to highly privileged kings or queens. Not that God doesn't live kings and queens. He does. But to ordinary working people like you and me. And again, the very first thing, what did the angels say? Don't be afraid. If you'll notice this, this is what the angels say all the time. When Gabriel met Zechariah and said, hey, we've heard your prayers. You and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. Now, Zechariah said, how can this be? Because I'm very old. Do you know what very old means? I mean, somebody who's older than you. So I know that 70 is not very old. I know they were older than 70. They at least were 80, okay? 
And when I'm 80, that's not going to be very old. It'll be 90. It just, it's the shifting number, right? Uh, but he was shocked. Zechariah was shocked when he saw the angel. And the angel said, hey, don't be afraid. God's heard your prayers. He's going to do good to you. When Gabriel came to Mary, she was deeply troubled. And what did Gabriel say? Hey, don't be afraid. God, God's had favor on you. He loves you. He's got good for you. God wants to say that to you and I all the time. Don't be afraid. I have good news for you. It's going to bring great joy to you and everyone else. I'm for you. I came to bless your life. I came to free you from fear. And so the angel says that. And I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, if we had an At Mercy Wednesday night class for angels, <laughs> just think about that. If we did, I think the very first part of that class, the instructor would say, okay, now everybody listen up. Whenever you meet a human, you need to remember to say this. Do not be afraid. <laughs> That's Angel 101. Don't be afraid. Okay. Uh, so, but isn't this, isn't this wonderful? God doesn't want you and I afraid of him. Yes, we fear the Lord, but that doesn't mean we're afraid of God. It means we want to please God. We want to honor God. We want to reverence God. We want to run to him, not away from him. Now, Luke's, one of his big emphases in his stories are how people respond. So when Zechariah hears this great news that he and Elizabeth are going to have a baby in their very old age, he responds with like, I can't believe this. I really, how could this be? And as a consequence, he's not, he said, well, because you didn't believe me, I stand in the very presence of God. This is totally going to happen. But because you, you couldn't believe right now, you're going to be unable to speak until the baby's born. Nine months of silence. I don't know, you think Elizabeth enjoyed that? Possibly, who knows? <laughs> anyway, but when John was born, they wanted to know, what do you name him? And they thought you'd name him Zechariah or something. And Elizabeth said, no, John. And they said, what? Nobody in your family's named that. And then they give John a tablet, and he writes, his name is John. And they give Zechariah a tablet. His name is John, and boom! Then his mouth is open, and he praises God. It's a beautiful story. So Luke's interested in his response. Mary, how does she respond? She has a question. She says, ah, uh, she's probably 14, maybe 13, probably no older than that because you were engaged at a really young age in that time of history and that culture. She says, you know, my mom and I have had this talk uh, about how things work, how babies are born, and Joseph and I haven't been together, so like, how can this be? And the angel said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you with great power. He's going to overshadow you, so the one baby born will be uh, considered the Holy One of God. And she responds, may it be to me. Do everything you want in my life. What a great response. Uh, could I encourage you? Be like Mary. Be like Mary. Awesome Mary. Who said yes to Jesus. Now that's a pretty big deal. Think about if you're 14 and you're going to be pregnant and there's no human father and the baby's going to be the savior of the whole world. That's a big deal. She said, yes. She responded, well, how did the shepherds respond? They hear this story and they say, in verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing the Lord has happened, which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried. They didn't wait a minute. I'm sure they might have maybe, I don't know, cast lots, said, hey, we need a couple guys to watch all the sheep. The rest of us, we're going. We're booking it to Bethlehem. And so they hurried. 
They were intent on seeing Jesus. And they found Mary and Joseph. And the sense is they had to look a little while because they needed to find a baby. Where? It was in a manger. There probably were other babies born that night. And there was the baby lying in the manger. They responded so well. They wanted to see this wonderful baby who was the Savior of the world because this Jesus was their Savior, the one who had come to rescue them, to save them from all of their sins. He is the Savior. If you read through the Old Testament, the word Savior is only used for God. In fact, in Isaiah 44, God says, who alone can save? Who is the Savior? It's only me. So when we say Jesus is the Savior, we're also saying Jesus is God in the flesh, come to save us, save his people, and keep us safe. I'll say this now, lest I forget it. In the first services we were praying at during worship, I had this sense that there were a number of us that kind of were encased in some kind of a shell, that kind of like protecting ourselves, because life's hard. And I grew up, I lived the first 19 years without Jesus, so I had... I had the defense mechanisms. I had safety things. I, I was protecting myself because who else is going to protect me? And so as Jesus began to work in my life, part of what he's done is begin to break that protective shell so I could actually receive his love and the love of others. And so I have a sense that there's some of us here where that shell is like on pretty tight in places. And I feel like God in his mercy today wants to say, you know, I'd like to break that shell off so you can experience more of my love, more of my protection. I will keep you safe. I am, a, as it were, a safe savior. I've come to rescue you. I will protect you. So as we pray later, uh, if that relates to you, resonates to you at all, we would love to pray for you. So he's the savior. He's the Messiah, the one who's anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to rule and make all things right. And he's the Lord. He's God in a human body. Fully God, fully human. So could I encourage you, the shepherds are making good choices. Number one, they heard the good news that the angel said. They heard the good news. You know how faith comes in your life? Roman, Paul says in Romans 10, faith comes by what? Hearing the good news about Jesus. So I would encourage you, your faith is going to grow. The fear will break off of you as you commit to hearing the good news. Reading the Bible yourself, reading it with your friends in a growth group, or at Mercy Wednesday coming and hearing these messages, taking it in, learning to respond. So hearing the good news means responding to the good news. As I was thinking about this, I remembered my mom at different times would say to me, John Frederick, I always knew I was in trouble if both names were said, John Frederick, you're not hearing me. What was she actually saying? I, all the sound waves went in. I just wasn't responding. I wasn't like coming or doing what she asked or cleaning up my room. So hearing the good news means we hear in order to like respond, to turn toward God. So they made a good choice. They heard the good news. The second good choice they made is they came to Jesus. I want to encourage you to come to Jesus. You might say, well, John, I did. You know, I did as a young child. Awesome. Are you coming to Jesus today? Are you continuing to move toward him? Are you continuing to reach out for a relationship, to know him better? Because there's always more. There's always more for you 
from Jesus. So I encourage you, make, make that choice. Come to Jesus. And then after the, the third thing, after seeing him, verse 17, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Three good choices. They heard the good news. They came to see Jesus. And then they went and they told everyone what they had both heard and seen. They were eyewitnesses. They were telling their story. My friends, you and I each, we have a story. My whole story hasn't been written yet. Mercy Vineyard is now part of my story. That's awesome. I'm so glad. And I'm part of your story. And I hope you're, I hope you're glad. <laughs> anyway, we're part of each other's story. And it's still being written. Part of what we want to do this Advent series is respond. Respond to what we're hearing, what God is doing with us. And there's a compelling story, and it's a story of Jesus at work in Mercy Vineyard in all of our lives. And so you'll see these, these tables. I'll mention them now on the side here. And they're, they're, they're to enable, they're to help you respond. So today we're talking about finding freedom from fear. What, might, what fears might you be struggling with today? Again, I realize not everybody's struggling with fear the way I did, and I'm not trying to make you struggle with it if you don't. I am simply trying to say, I know a lot of us do. What are you struggling with? What would you really like Jesus to set you free from? Well, we're going to pray for each other in the midst of worship today, but you can come up there and you can write any kind of response you're making to God through what we're talking about today. You can write it on those pieces of paper. You can choose the pen, choose the paper, put it in that little receptacle. That'll become part of a, an art piece that will visually represent our common story. The shepherds heard good news. The shepherds came to see Jesus, and then the shepherds went and told everyone they could this great news. You have a story to tell. I would encourage you, tell your story. Find a one to two minute version of your story, then maybe five minutes, then maybe 10, maybe longer if you've got a really good friend that wants to sit with you longer. But find a way to tell your story about what Jesus has done and is doing for you. And then tell his story. People will be astonished. Now, I first heard that story through my sister when, when I was a senior in high school. She was a second-year college student. I was astonished, honestly, because I remember her telling me, John, Jesus is changing my life. And I said, uh, what do you mean? You're reading a book about Jesus? I know he lived a long time ago. Uh, you're inspired by things he said? She said, well, that's true. He, did write, he, he, did, he is in a book. It's called the Bible. I said, no way. That's, what that's, that's what's in the Bible? I didn't know that. I mean, I was really clueless. That's what the Bible's about, Jesus? I might have read it if you'd have told me that. Come on. Anyway, she said, she said, but it's more than that. He's actually alive, and I know him personally. I talk to him every day, many times a day, and he's changing my life. I'm not, I'm not all the way home. I still got a ton of issues, but I have resources to deal with issues. And I said, I know, and I'm so happy for you. I was astonished. I didn't make a choice to follow Jesus then. It was two years later. So, you know, let's be patient, okay? Some of your friends that hear your story, they're just going to be, they're going to be happy for you. Way to go. And maybe they will say it out loud. Maybe they'll not. Maybe they'll think, you really needed some help, you know? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> that's what I thought for my sister. Oh, man, if anybody needed help, Jesus, you, she, you did. But thank you that you got it. I thought I was pretty good to go. I wasn't. Two years later, I realized I'm in deep trouble. I need help. Where can I get help? Maybe Linda's Jesus can help me. 
I had never read the Bible, but truth be told, I gave my life to Jesus because of Linda's story and Steve's story and other and Kevin and a variety of friends that she'd introduced me to. Tell your story. There will be people that will be astonished. Now let's just look at Mary for a second. Mary kept all these things in her heart. She thought about them often. Mary was maybe 15, and she just had a baby who was the savior of the whole world. Think about it, moms. Think about A, having a baby at 15 and some of the challenges of that. But think about, would you feel up to the task of raising the savior of the world? (laughs) Ah, that would produce a little anxiety, right? But God loved Mary so much that he sends the shepherds to tell her and Joseph again, yes, this baby is the savior of the world. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. What Gabriel told you was true. You can believe this, Mary. And she did. You can read the Magnificat, that's in Luke chapter 1. I encourage you to read it. Mary was an amazing woman, full great knowledge of the Old Testament. She taught not only Jesus, she taught her other, James and Jude. They both wrote books in the Bible. Read those books with the eye that not only did they come from the Holy Spirit, but they came through, many of those ideas came through their mom, Mary. She impacted Jesus, James, and Jude. She needed encouragement and God gave it to her. You need encouragement today, God has it for you. And then the shepherds went back to their flocks. They went back to work. But they went back to work as changed people. They worked glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen because it was just like the angel had told them. If you are able to stand with me, I'd like to have the music team come back. We're going to transition now and we're going to respond to God and worship. And uh, we'd love to have you worship with us.